Good morning, church. Y'all good? Yes. Isn't it so hot outside? Like, here, here's my equivalent. I started having sweat stains under my armpits at like nine o'clock this morning. And so I knew it was going to be a great day at church, right? Worship team just kills it. And last service was uh, awesome. And man, it really is. I don't want to say this because uh, of my role here, but I love Sundays. Man, I just look forward to it. And that's how church should be, right? Um, my youth pastor always said I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church. And um, I never want that to be the case for any of us. Um, but man, God is doing amazing, amazing things. If you're a first-time guest, uh, my name is Dustin. I'm the teaching and campus pastor here. And as Catherine said, would love for you to fill out that connect card. And we don't do anything with that information. I know it can be overwhelming to be like, what are they going to do? Are they going to show up at my house unexpectedly or creep on Facebook or what are they going to do? Um, I will creep on Facebook, but uh, no, just kidding. But I just want to reach out, take you to coffee and say, hey, let's go. Let's meet, answer any questions you might have. Uh, nothing awkward or any kind of pressure, but just to get to know you, because I know it can be um, quite overwhelming to come to a new place and all that good stuff, but we're so glad you're here. Um, we are continuing. We only have a few weeks left of this series called Into the Wilderness, where over the last, I don't know, this is our eighth week, we have been walking through this amazing story in the Old Testament. Um, and so we're going to continue that this morning. But before we do, I wanted to just kind of hit pause for a second. So if you're a guest, uh, be patient with me. Um, and hopefully you'll see a little bit of our heart as a church and where we're at, because God is working in tremendous ways at our, through our church, but specifically here at Five Forks. Um, and so I was doing some... Um, just some conversations getting back uh, from vacation last week and some conversations in the office. I just kind of wanted to see, I'm kind of a geek with things like this, but I think it's good to uh, pull out some data and get some context of where we're at as a church, as a campus. And one of the things that I found out, this is really, really crazy. So I want you to think about this. So last Sunday at our campus right here in the middle of July, which is like unheard of, all right, just because, you know, we probably have a little bit, um, a lower Sunday today. I know it's summer, people are vacationing and um, going to the lake and different things like that. But last Sunday, we had 311 people in attendance between both services, okay? So yeah, you can clap for that. So we had 311 here last Sunday. Now, if you were to go a year ago, all right, um, a year ago, we had 150 something. So think about that. In a year, we have doubled our amount of attendance. Now, if you were here through this, you understand what I'm talking about. When we started this campus, um, we started and within nine months, we had to go to a second service. And as soon as we went to that second service, like I think like two or three weeks into it, COVID hit and just, you know, wrecked everything. And it's like cussing in church, right? And, and so we came back. I'll never forget the first Sunday back. Literally, we had three services, so you could social distance, and it was like 40 people. Can you imagine 40 people across three services? It was like, I might as well have been preaching to my kids, you know, type thing. But out of all of our campuses, we have definitely been the slowest to recover. There's a lot of different factors into that. But God has been so incredible that this past year to essentially double. Now, let me kind of put another number on that. So a year ago, a part of that um, 150-ish, we had th like 38 kids, preschool, elementary, checked in. 38. You know how many kids we had last week? 88. 
All right, so just think about that. Y'all all have like COVID kids or Bebe's kids or whoever's kids, you know. But anyway, which, this is awesome. We're reaching young families. So here's, here's kind of the thing that with that, it presents us as any growing church and organization has. It really, we are faced with some challenges. So I kind of wanted just to real quick, I know I say five minutes, so probably be like 10. Just want to kind of have a family meeting, all right, for a second. And we'll dig into God's word, I promise you, all right? But I think this is good. We're at a great place as a church, as a campus, but we're at a crossroads because we're faced with a few challenges to help us with this. Because with the growth, we, there's a lot of questions that I'm asking, our staff is asking, you're probably asking, hey, what's the next step? Are we going to three services? Are we looking for land? Are we going to build a building? Are we going to, is there a church that's dying? Are we, what are we going to do? What's the next step? Are we going to buy the doctors out? All these different things. Let me just say this, okay? We're pursuing all different avenues. Um, and one, let me challenge you with this. I want you and, and myself to be faithful, all right? That means in giving and attendance, right? Be, be faithful in coming and being a part of corporate worship in this body. Secondly, trust God and pray. Uh, I know it sounds overly spiritual, but man, for us to pray collectively as a church, what that next step is, trust me, I don't want us to do anything and our staff doesn't want us to do anything that's like a knee jerk reaction that it's like, hey, let's raise $5 million and then we buy half an acre here in Five Forks, okay? And so we wanna be smart with that. And um, God is giving us the wisdom and we just wanna, we don't wanna do any knee jerk reaction to that. So I wanna address just a few things because the natural progression is for us to go to a third service that would be at 845. Some of you, you're still in bed, I get that, okay? But a couple things that we need to address. One, I addressed with 950 because it's our biggest service. It's like the prime time. I told them that y'all were a lot better than them. So they needed to come. Some of them needed to come to 1110, all right? Um, and so we can allot for some space there. But here's the biggest need. Our biggest need is as we continue to see the number of people increase and the amount of people we serve, we need to be people that serve. We need to be people that step up to the plate and serve. So let me kind of put this in context a little bit. As we've doubled, so a year ago, with those 38 kids that checked in, we had 12 kids volunteers. Okay, so now let's go to last Sunday <clears throat> where we had 88 kids. So essentially we've more, more than doubled in our kids ministry, but yet we, we went from 12 volunteers to 17. So we didn't double in volunteers in that. And so before we can even consider going to a third service, we have a huge gap in need of people that need to step up and serve. And so as you see on the screen, I'm gonna push hard, all right? Because I'm gonna step on some toes. I'm gonna get, get you out of your comfort zone. As we talked last week, God dislodges his people. This is your dislodging, okay? Warning, <laughs> there we go. Disclaimer. So here's a QR code on this, and I'm challenging you as we celebrate this growth for you to step up and to serve if you are not currently serving. So you can get your phone out, you can get your um, 
your uh, camera and QR code that. It'll take you to a service page. You put what campus. Don't serve at another campus. Serve here, okay? And so I'll um, be like, oh, I'll serve there. Uh, serve here. I'll get an email that lets me know you can put on there where you want to serve. Um, so you can even fill that out right now uh, as long as that's what you're doing and not check, checking social media because I have a microphone and you don't. So, um, but... Um, but anyway, so there is this balance for us, and I'm going to get to where we need some spots in just a second. But I really want us to step up and serve. If you are not serving, you know if you've been to our Getting to Know You as a member, it's an expectation for you to serve. And there is this balance in a believer's life that uh, I heard it said when I, the first church I worked at, that in order to grow, um, to grow, you have to serve, and to serve, you grow. And so it's one of those things that it's a part and there's this balance of as you come in here for corporate worship and are invested into, not tooting my own horn, but I'm just saying as you worship, as you're challenged in your faith and we walk through scripture, it is your responsibility as a believer to invest into other people. And so let me challenge you. If you like the 1110 service, serve at 950. And we like to say, attend an hour, serve an hour. And you might have small kids and you might say, there is no way I'm bringing my kids to church for two hours. Well, I pray the Lord convicts you of that because some of you go to Target for two hours, all right? And you hate your kids then. <laughs> bring, them, bring them to church, okay? At least they're in church for two hours. Um, you can do it. And I'm not asking you anything that me and my family aren't willing to do ourselves. But I think it is huge that as a body, we need um, to serve and, and step up because I don't think there's anybody in this room just being real transparent and honest. I don't think there's anybody in this room that ha comes in with an attitude that, you know, I'm kind of above serving. All right, that's just not for me. I'm better than that. I also don't think that anybody would say and be adamant and disobedient and say, I'm not serving. I'm not doing it. I think we're better than that. But I think it does uh, take sometimes a fire uh, under your feet or a swift kick in the britches, I guess, if you're from the South, I don't know, to, to step up and to do that. And I don't think there's anybody here that says, you know what, I'm content. I don't want God to reach more people. I'm good with putting a lid on what God has to do. And so I'm asking you, step up. So here's, here's some um, places that you could serve. And I'm gonna challenge specifically, I'm just saying this because I'm a man and uh, I'm gonna challenge the men too, because to be quite honest, if we were to give all the ladies that serve a day off and say, hey, don't serve this Sunday, we'd be in a lot of trouble, okay? And so as men, we need to step up and, and do this as well. So at 9.50, we need six more kids volunteers and two in the parking team. All right, that's just, I mean, parking team, that's easy. You can just greet people, but we really need people um, in kids ministry. At this service, we need uh, four more on our kids team. We need two to three people in parking and one person on our connections team that's out in the lobby waving, um, shaking hands and making sure everybody's well, wel uh, welcomed well and all that stuff. So that's a total of 15 people that are still needed to meet our current needs and our growth. <clears throat> needless to say, if we add an 845 service, that we would need 25 people total just for that service. So 15 people, I think that's doable. We can do that between both services. Just don't be that person that's like someone else will do it because I'm gonna be honest. I know I'm, I'm excusing some of you because you're not on the Facebook, there's a member's Facebook private page and some of you aren't members, so you're not on that. So you're excused. But a, a couple Sundays ago, I put, or a couple weeks ago, I put, hey, we need some people, more people on the parking team. Uh, direct message me if you're available um, and willing to do that. You know how many people responded? Okay, zero. 
And I just don't want that to be the heart of our church. So many people are carrying the weight and the same volunteers that were then a year ago are doing it now. So anyway, think about it. You don't really, don't say, well, I'll pray about it. Don't do that, okay? That's like God, God wants you to tell, tell your neighbor about Jesus. Well, let me pray about it, okay? God wants you to serve, all right? And so think, you know, think about where's the best place, do that. You can fill out a connect card and all that good stuff. But man, God is doing amazing things. I want this to be positive. I'm not coming, I hope I'm not coming across angry. I'm just coming across, hey, here's the need and let's step up and fill it. We can do it. We're reaching people. We want to continue to reach people and 845 will be here sooner rather than later. So let's pray and dig into God's word. Does that sound good? And everybody said, amen. All right, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for being a church that Man, you are growing this place, God. And it's, it's in spite of us that you are bringing people to this place. And I know every single one of us desire for this to be a place that we're challenged in our faith, that we're inspired in this community, getting to know other believers, that it's a place for our kids to learn about Jesus and to pour into them. And God, that can't be a one-sided show. You know that you call us to all serve. And so will you convict us even in this moment that that we can step up and to serve in some capacity, that we can meet a need and be a place that is beginning to pour into people um, where those spots are needed. And so, Father, help us to do that. And as we read your word, let us be reminded of who you are, how great and powerful and faithful you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus Chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12. If you've been with us in this journey, we've been walking through this incredible, really kind of first half of the book of Exodus, this narrative of God delivering his people. And it's an incredible story. It really is of God working and freeing. If you remember in chapter one and two, uh, we see God's people are like fed up and they're just, man, they're hurting. They cry out to God. We see that God um, hears their cries. So he goes to Moses and says, hey, I want to use you in a huge way. And Moses was very defiant. He's like, not me. I don't have what it takes. I'm not gifted. I don't have the speech. And God's like, no, I'm using you, whether you like it or not. So you need to step into that obedience. So Moses steps up and at the beginning was half-hearted, but then goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, here's what God said, buddy. God said, you're gonna let his people go. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, right. Who is this God that I should worship or even listen to him? And because of this disobedience, what we have seen over the last couple of weeks is that God has been getting the attention of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, really because of Pharaoh's disobedience, He's self, he worships himself, he's narcissistic, he has a hard heart, and God is shaking him and shaking the Egyptians while also shaking the Israelites in their trust and their, uh, how they view God in this moment. And so he does this through these really horrifying plagues um, and to get his attention. And it's half-hearted. We kind of see this negotiations that are going back and forth between Pharaoh and God. And Pharaoh's trying to manipulate <laughs> who God is. And God's like, hey, I'm God. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so we get to this final plague in chapter 12. And really, this is just me personally. I think this final plague is both terrifying and also beautiful. And I hope that you see that this morning, that as we get to this final plague, that it bears a lot of significance. Yes, historically in the Jewish culture, in the Israelites, that they begin to celebrate Passover, but it also is significant to you and I personally, 
because the Passover is personal. That what took place many years ago in the Old Testament that we see come to fruition and be foreshadowed in the New Testament of Jesus, there are implications of what took place for you and me. And so let's read, I'm gonna read, I'm not gonna read all of chapter 12, but I'm gonna read a significant um, part of it, but let's read together. Chapter 12, verse one. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, that this month shall uh, be for you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, <clears throat> and he and his, um, and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall take your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So God's kind of setting up some calendar. He says, on the 10th day of this month, go get a, a lamb to sacrifice without blemish. It needs to be a male for one year, uh, depending on your household, how many people, how much money you make, uh, um, try to get one per household. But if you need to share with your neighbor, share with your neighbor. And then wait till everybody's on the same page on this 14th day, verse seven. Then they shall take um, some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses uh, in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. He said, you better finish your plate, boy. All right, <laughs> that's what he's saying. Don't let any of it go to waste. And uh, anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. And in this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened. Can you imagine he's saying, hey, it's like Thanksgiving dinner, no stretchy pants, all right? You'll get that belt fastened. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt. Here comes judgment. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So if you're following along, he tells Moses, hey, go get this sacrificial lamb, sacrifice it, take the blood, put it on the doorpost and on the lentils, and I'm gonna pass over and I'm bringing judgment and on the Egyptians for their disobedience, for their sin. And I don't wanna do that for you as God's people. And so I will pass over, I will see the blood and I will pass over you. And then um, we see that this is about to take place, but skip down to verse 21. We have two more sections of scripture. It says, Moses called all the elders of Israel and he said to them, so he's communicating what God said. Go and select the lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. 
None of you shall go out of the door of your house until this morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Now, I love this. He says, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, remember, he's going to lead them to the promised land that was promised, this covenant. He's keeping his promise of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth. He said, I'm going to get you to this land. When you get to the land that I have promised, you shall keep this service. Continue doing and celebrating the Passover. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it's a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spread or spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful sight. So God comes, this 10th plague flies over the land of Egypt and the firstborn, both in mankind and in animals are dead. And it gets the attention, finally, of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And they're like, get out of here. I'm tired of this. What is, I don't know who this God is that you serve, but I'm tired of all this, all these plagues and this chaos. So look, lastly, just at this last section in verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. Their kneading bowls were bound up in the cloaks of their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them. And they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people a favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Could you imagine? Like God's just like struck down the firstborn. And as God's provision, as he said, the Israelites are like, hey, can I have that gold necklace? How about that watch? Hey, I really like that cloak. That's a nice fabric. Give, hand over, buddy. You know? And they're just giving it to him because that's what God said would happen. They had favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And they plundered them. Verse 37. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sokoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went out with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they had baked un, um, unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt so quickly and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt to rescue them so that the same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Man, this incredible, incredible scene that God speaks to Moses, the people listen, um, God spares the Israelites their life in this time of Passover. God commands them. Moses says, hey, we're gonna remember this for centuries and generation after generation. We need to teach our kids what God just did. They worship and then they flee. And they flee so fast. As you remember, Moses said, have that belt fastened, your sandals on and staff in hand and let's go. 
you know, peace out, right? Bye, Felicia. We're leaving Egypt and we're getting out of here. And so they're going to go into this land of wilderness that we'll begin to unpack a little bit the next two weeks. And we'll pick up in this series in a second part and finish out Exodus and months ahead. But what we see right here, three quick notes, if you're taking notes this morning, um, is the first thing is that we see that judgment is certain. Here's some application to us. We see that because of the consequences of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, judgment is certain. Consequences happen because of sin. We said this last week. None of us can just sin freely and there not be any kind of consequences. Now, they might not come right away, but there is always consequences to sin. And because we live in a sin-filled world that has fallen and is broken, God being a good judge must punish sin. Now, as a parent, if I just let my kids wail on each other, it's funny for a little bit, but it needs to be addressed, right? Now, being a good dad, would you say, am I a good dad if our oldest is just wailing on our youngest's face in the playroom and be like, it's okay, I love you, son, continue. No, I'll, you'd be like, okay, I'm, D, I'm calling DSS. You're horrible, right? As a good dad, as a good judge, sin must be punished. And in this picture, what we see is that God is punishing the sins of Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. And we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think God's gonna punish for our sin. We actually live in a world that picks out all the good and the fluff and the lovey-dovey stuff about God and doesn't wanna think about God being a warrior, man of wrath and, and killing people in the Old Testament. So what we do is we're like, I just don't wanna think about that. I love what R.C. Sproul says, an incredible writer and speaker. Um, he says this, a God who doesn't righteously and angrily punish sin is an idol of our making, not the God of the Bible. So true. Sin has to be punished. And so what we see in scripture really, really quick in Romans 3, we see God, uh, Paul lays out that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short. You and I are sinners. We're born into sin. Our nature is to sin. We're not perfect. And so we have all fallen short. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn salvation. And so then we see, Paul says in Romans 6, 23, because of that sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. And so because of our sin, we deserve to die and not only die, but spend eternity in hell. Now, judgment is certain for you and me that when we die, we will stand before God. And what scripture says, we will give an account. Now, let me kind of, um, clarify something. For many of us, maybe you were raised this way or in scripture was taken out of context that we, we have kind of burned it and ingrained it in our minds that we'll stand before God and God will be like, and like, you know, roll out this huge scroll and say, hey, Dustin, let me tell you, you're going to give an account. You remember when you were six and you did this to your brother? Remember when you were 12 and you did this? Remember when you said that dirty word, <laughs> you know, down here? Remember when you did this? And it's like this checklist of things that we're going to give an account. And like God being a judge is going to be like, it's pretty borderline. You know what? I guess I will let you in. You know, we kind of have this picture. That's how God is. When scripture says that we're gonna give an account, here's the account we give. It's very simple. You either have a relationship with Jesus or you don't. You either have come to a point in your life 
and a genuine, sincere surrender to say, you know what? I cannot do this by myself and I need Jesus. And you ask for forgiveness, you confess your sins and you enter into a relationship with him. We see even in, in the gospel of Matthew, that people come before Jesus and say, well, we did all these things in your name. We essentially in modern day, we went to church, we did this, we prayed, we all. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. There was no relationship there. And so judgment is certain and we will be judged on that relationship. And what we see is that God is judging his people in this. The second thing that we need to see really quick that's applicable is that here's the good news, rescue is offered. Rescue is offered for us. It was rescued for the Israelites. Hey, you want to be rescued from my judgment? Do this. Have a sacrificial lamb, put the blood um, on your doorpost, and I'm going to pass over you. Man, what an incredible moment of rescue. I will spare you of your life. And so this rescued is offered. Now, what we'll see is that the Israelites further in Exodus, they are conscious of the deep slavery that they have and the oppression they have to the Egyptians. What they don't understand is the deep slavery they have of sin in their life and beyond just the rescue of the oppression of man, the rescue they need for salvation from their sin. And so you, they'll see that later as they're grumbling and complaining and they're like, I need to go back to Egypt. It was better there. They forget about those things. And, and in the same way, God has provided you and me this incredible redemption and rescue. Now, I thought about this, and I've never thought about it this way, that when you look at this sacrificial lamb that was for the Israelites, and God says, get this lamb, let it be without blemish, and I want you to sacrifice it, take the blood, and put it on your doorpost. And then he says, eat it. Um, and I love this. God must be a really good cook because he said roast it because I don't know about you, I have a green egg and I love smoking or roasting and grilling meat. That's the way to do it because boiling lamb, that sounds disgusting, okay? And so, and then he says, don't waste it. Now here's what's so significant. I've never thought about this way. In this moment, in this context, the blood of that sacrificial lamb saved the people. It spared their life. But the reason God told them to eat of the lamb and to not let any go to waste is so it would give them nourishment because they're about to be on a journey and they needed something to sustain their body. And so the body of the lamb was nourishment and sustainability for the journey ahead. Now think about this. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. On that night before Jesus was led to the cross and crucified and he's up there in the upper room with his disciples and he... Um, you know, installs communion, what we're about to partake in as a church family. He tells his disciples, you see this, this wine, it represents my body that, or my blood that was shed for you. And he says, this bread that's broken is my body that was broken for you. Now think about this. In that moment, for you and I as believers, his blood, Jesus's blood was shed for you and I in the forgiveness of sins, no doubt. But his body was broken to sustain us. His body was broken to be with you, that Jesus is with you, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with you, that his body is with you and for you, that in a way that you can be, or he can be with you in good times and bad times to say, he's my strength. And I, I think we could all say life is hard. And we need Jesus right there in this moment, not just for the forgiveness of sins, but for him to be present in our life. There's a reason his name is Emmanuel, God with us. 
And so in this, we see this sacrificial lamb to our rescue. And third, what we see is that God's promise is better. Now, if you remember early on when Moses and Aaron first showed up on the scene, all the Israelites were like, go home. Since you've shown up and been running your mouth to Pharaoh, it's gotten hard. We don't like it. Go home. And, you know, even Moses was questioning God. And God said, just trust me. Just trust me. So we're going through all of this and they begin to trust because God's promise is better. One, he says, hey, when you get to the land that I promised you, it's gonna be incredible. Continue to tell your family, your kids, your kids' kids about this moment because I'm sparing you of your life and I'm gonna lead you into this incredible, incredible promise. Now for you and me, that promised land is a relationship with Jesus. It's the freedom and the joy that comes from our salvation. That you and I, if you are a follower of Christ, you should have, even in the darkest times, I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it's not okay to hurt and to be in pain and to cry out to God. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is even in those darkest moments, we should have the greatest joy of anybody because of what Jesus has done for you and me. Because it's a better promise than anything that this world has to offer. And our salvation should be found in him. And so we're gonna partake in communion. The band is gonna lead us in a closing song. And as they do, I want you to consider this. I want you to really think about what does the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus mean for you? It can be really easy to be like, okay, let's just do this. It's kind of a ritual or a routine. But God didn't establish it to be some religious ordinance, but for us to actually personally remember the blood and the body. And as we do that, there's a couple things that um, if you're new to our church that we ask. One, we have what's called an open communion policy, meaning that, um, that you don't have to be a member of our church to partake in communion. Some churches do that. But what we do ask is that you have to be a believer to partake in communion meaning that there had been a point in your life that you surrendered to Jesus to partake because it doesn't really make sense for you to remember something that is so meaningful and personal that hasn't actually happened to your life. With that being said, I wanna offer the opportunity that if you want a relationship with Jesus, I'll be down front, would love to talk to you and walk you through what that means and answer some questions. We can talk afterwards, even go to coffee about that. But let us just be together in this moment. Um, if you don't have one of these cups as you walked in, you can raise your hand. And I don't know if there's anybody that's missing out. Um, not to put you on the spot. Sorry to do that. But if you need one, you can just raise your hand. We don't want you to miss out. Band's gonna lead. Just kind of give some time. However you feel led. Whether it's individually, with your spouse, friend, family member, for you to partake in this. And it's a great time for us to evaluate our hearts and to come before Jesus, just confessing sin thanking him for his blood that was shed and his body um, that was broken as a sacrificial lamb. Let's pray together. Father, we do everything that we can to follow you, but even that falls short because our desperate need of you. And Father, just as we see in the Passover and Exodus, got a time where they just trusted. They didn't understand. I can only imagine how terrifying that moment must have been to know that you would come and cast judgment in such a way that would lead to death. But it, the only way to be spared was blood being shed by a sacrificial lamb. Fast forward to right now, this Sunday in July, 
The only way for us to be spared of your judgment and condemnation to hell, for our sin to be washed away and be made clean is by a sacrificial lamb. And that's through your son, Jesus. So in this intimate moment, as we just are uh, being led by your spirit, would you speak to us and allow us to hear your voice and what we need to confess to you as we recognize and remember the blood that was shed and the body that was broken. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Take just a few minutes as the band leads and they'll close us out and worship together.